feel about eco-terrorism? Um, you should bring it back. <laughs> I feel like it's been kind of on the back burner for a while. Uh, you know. Let's do it. Let's bomb the whales. Bomb the whales. <laughs> we gotta nuke someone. <laughs> uh, we're recording. Oh, man. Oh, ooh. Well, it's a good thing you didn't start recording a few minutes earlier. <laughs> Would have gotten all those racial epithets you were throwing out. That's fine, though. Oh, we're back. We are. It's been an exhausting, what, four years now? <laughs> we have a new president waiting on. New president. So where were you when you heard the news? Where was I when Kennedy got shot? I was... I think I had just woken up. Because it, it had, like, they called it early in the morning, whatever morning In the happened. early afternoon. Yes. <laughs> whatever. Shut up. So, <laughs> Definitely the afternoon. So I, I think I had just gotten like up and about and i was like ah i hadn't checked it for a day or two because it didn't change and then i checked it and i was like oh man hey, old, did you, did old you... ice cream grandpa finally pulled through <laughs> did you take part in the uh the celebrations here in Philadelphia? um it was saturday i was working but mm. i did have to go downtown to pick up a parcel for my friends so i did drive through a good chunk of center city and saw all the people with their pots and pans and signs and... did they really have pots and pans oh yeah there were people with pots and pans like right. banging them. i saw Earlier, before I left my house, I saw a video of Bill Nye, like, a, on his Instagram doing it, and I was like, oh, that's cool, and then I saw people on the street doing it, and I was like, oh, I guess that's a thing, and that's all I saw, but... Pots and pans. Pots and pans. Bottles and cans. There you go. But yeah, um, you know, I was I was part of the celebration in the manner that I was working and watching people be happy. <laughs> that's yeah, that as I usually nice. am. I, I had no such luxury. I uh, was in Biglerville, Pennsylvania ooh, this weekend. Biglerville. So the, the only hint I got <laughs> was that there was a, a solemn hush just ooh. over oh. the air. And I said, something's different in this moment. <laughs> oh, man. Everyone's wearing their funeral best. <laughs> the saddest wedding I've ever oh, been to. Oh, man. No, it's actually cool for me. I was at a family wedding, cool. um, and my extended family, you know, some for some that day was better than for yeah. others. You know, we uh, all... but it was nice because I think everyone was like, "Oh, this is a minefield. We just won't mention it." So <laughs> it was a really lovely oh, wedding. You're telling me the election didn't come up in the vows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. How? uh... You excited about your little wager? My little wager. Is that did that go through then or? Um, oh yeah. yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to. I didn't know if that was a secret. Yeah, no, I don't talk about my finances and my gambling. <laughs> you on this don't podcast. talk about your degenerate Absolutely gambling. Absolutely not. No, that oh, is Nick. Fine. No, we don't cover that here. Fine. That's personal shit. Fine, um, fine. But I'm very excited for my friend to give me lots of money because Joe Biden won. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Bada bing, bada I did, boom. we do have a little more writing on the fate of the Senate, um, which I offered a surrender to him, um, because I don't think the Democrats will win the Senate, because they're not good enough at campaigning <laughs> to do it. Well, uh, we, we're not getting there quite yet, but there is a specific quote from my big dern this week that is very apt. Oh, the Supreme Court. If it leans any further right, it will tip over. Hey! Ah, got him. Nineteen ninety four burn. Mm. I was just reading about like the old school Supreme Court in like the 
30s and 40s. Back when it was just Brandeis all days. suspenders and Southern men. and No, it was the most liberal wing oh, of... It was like, that's where the progressivism was hmm. in in U.S. politics at the federal level. Um, and just a slow, consistent, just from left to right, Oof. that we've never seen reversed. Um, yeah. And you know what? It brings me back to... Uh, the old idea that maybe, like, having a board of elders to get to decide the fate of everyone is dumb and perhaps, dare I say, anti-democratic and stupid and, I don't know, let's pee on the Constitution. You know what? I think we should do it like the Pope. We pick it by lottery. We have a little hammer we hit him with to see if he's dead. And uh, some smoke comes out of a chimney and it turns black when we pick a new one. Couldn't agree more. That's a great system. Yeah, I think. Yeah, like I mean, they've they've been doing it way longer. And what 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 scandal has the Catholic Church faced in all those decades of performative all these literal leadership? millennia? <laughs> I mean, you know, except all the bad popes. Yeah. Have you ever read about? Wait, you you've you read that? I one know book. what popes okay. are. I mean, not what they are, but, like, there's been some, like, super bad ones, like, the ones that would just, like, throw orgies and stuff. I mean, I mean, I think that just makes you, it doesn't make you a bad person, but it makes you a bad pope. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I well, do. It's probably part of the rules now. <laughs> no orgies. I know we probably don't have to say that to most of you guys, but. Yeah, it does get at, I think, the absurdity of giving one person yeah. lots of power. And I would love to see us turn into a society that challenges that idea a bit more. Would be nice. Um, because sure, I'd say a democratically elected president is better than like, oh, whatever kid the king had. <laughs> but it's still, so it's like an improvement. Hey man, I think a hemophiliac should be in the White House. <laughs> I'll say it. I'm brave. <laughs> I just saw one of these, you know... One of these Facebook um, screeds from the Biden camp mm-hmm. that was supposed to be like a thoughtful piece about how this is for unity, but was really just like a veiled Trump bashing, which, you know, is consistent. Yeah. Um, and there is like a line about how the goal isn't to worship the president. The goal is to hope that the president cares more about the American people than they do themselves. And I'm like, I don't want to have to hope that. I don't want to put my livelihood in the hands of if some guy is compassionate enough. Like, no, this is dumb. Fuck all this. Uh, Viva la revolution. Anyway, what are we doing? Well, now that we've had that delightful cold open, um, this is a podcast called Dern After Reading. Dern After Reading. Thank you. We save a lot of money on not having a producer by just having Max do all the sound effects. Dern. Very good, Max. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we're just watching all the Laura Dern stuff and talking about it. We're we're charging through at this rate by uh, 2024. We'll be done. Speaking of 2024, actually, I think it's probably 2022. Jurassic World 3-2 just finished filming, finally. And now it's going to take them fucking two years to edit it for some reason. Because yeah, they have to make dinosaurs now. They, 
I mean, we all know they breed them and then just kill them in back <laughs> afterwards. It's I've, ta- I've talked about this. They have <laughs> all those studios have an abomination to God clause, and you're allowed to clone or create anything you want, but you just have to kill it when you're done shooting. It's basically what Hugh Jackman does in The Prestige. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like an unknowing stegosaurus. There's just one guy who works at Paramount, and his job is to just put down all the dinosaurs <laughs> and like. Oompa Loompas and stuff. <laughs> They're real too. Oh yeah. Oh okay. they, they cloned that little man and they just had they had to mark the original one because he could stay, but all the others they had to, <laughs> you know. Put a little tattoo behind his ear. <laughs> ORG. I hope now that like I want the clone Oompa Loompas to like I don't know, get a time machine? Like, double add a new layer to to this travesty? Oh my god. And then they go back in history and, like, kill all the studio execs. <laughs> and then dinosaurs are roaming free, which is, like, an unforeseen consequence. I mean, that's just... That's just Jurassic Park 3. 2? 3. 3, 2? Three, 3, 1. <laughs> oh, okay. I recently rewatched it because I had no memory of it, even though I know I watched it a lot when I was little. Not as much as the first two, but... Yeah, in that movie, dinosaurs just roam Los Angeles. Well, they, oh. mainly one. There's one T-Rex, and it just, there's two. There's a baby, and there's an adult. And the adult dinosaur is just roaming through. I remember this. The baby's like the always like, I'm the baby, gotta love me. Yeah, right? and the mom's like, where's baby? Yeah. It's crazy. And then Jeff Goldblum sends that baby back to fucking Ilsa Nubar. <laughs> and uh, what's his face? Dude is in it. David Attenborough's brother. Richard Attenborough. There you go. By the way, David Attenborough apparently joined Instagram recently. Show off. Because he had like a, a new, he had like a story of his life thing come out. So he was doing a bunch of press and he joined Instagram. And he broke the daily follower count like forever. He got like over a billion follows in a day. Wow. Because, uh, yeah, David Attenborough's great, I guess. Apparently. I mean, you know, he's been nature. He's... <laughs> he's the next Cardi B with numbers like that. <laughs> Can't wait for his uh, solo track to drop. It's gonna be fire. <laughs> oh well. Anything else you want to babble about? Or are we gonna hop no, into this? No, I'll find the babbling as we go. Oh Jesus. Okay, so I watched a terrible movie. It was terrible. It wasn't terrible. It was. There were aspects of it that seemed not great. It was an okay movie. It was just really, really, really depressing. Okay. It's about the death penalty. It's based Ooh. on a true story. And it's just, it's a bummer. It's not great. It's called Trial by Fire. came out in 2018. Um, it's directed by the same guy that did uh, Glory and some other movies. It doesn't really matter. His career has no interest to me. So, we open with our protagonist. His name is Todd. We see... There's a girl, like, sitting on a lawn, playing with a truck or something. It's two days before Christmas, so there's, like, a little intro card that says, like, 1992, December 20, whatever. And then we see a fire explode in the right side of the house that the girl is looking at. And she's like, Mom? Mom? She's, like, turning around, Mom? And then we see a guy, like, like fall out of the front door, and he's covered in smoke and fire. But he's, like, alive. And then he, like, he breaks the window to try to let the fire out, and it kind of explodes. And he, like, like gets away, and he's crying. And uh, so we start with a fire. That's a good start. We're already living up to the name. Sure. And this fire is followed almost exactly by a trial. So, you know. 
Really, we could have cut the whole movie right there. <laughs> um, so yeah, it explodes. Um, then we go to the detectives looking through the house, and it's very unrealistic. Like there was a f- like the fire started in the children's bedroom. By the way, three kids are dead. Oh. Right off the bat, three dead kids. Fire. Sad husband. Angry wife. Um, investigators are looking around, and like none of the house has any damage except the one room where the fire was, which seems relatively unrealistic to me, but. What do I know? I'm not a fire expert. That's why you keep your doors closed. We'll meet the fire expert in a few minutes. Oh, good. Yeah, keep your doors closed. So, the husband um, and the wife are getting interviewed by the police. We find out they're incredibly unhappy. He is very abusive and cheats on her a lot. And he's just a really bad, unredeemable and he's son. unhappy? Sounds like he's... I'm just doing what he wants. I mean, technically, he seems very happy. His wife seems quite upset. Okay. And the three dead children are definitely adding to her sure. upsetness. Um, he's 24 at this point. He has three kids. Had three kids, I guess. Um, there's... Basically what it does is it shows them being interviewed and, like, trying to downplay how bad their lives are. And then it intercuts with scenes from their home life of, like, them yelling at each other and, like, him, like, getting pretty... Not hitting her, but getting really close to doing it. Yeah. Like, the kids are there. He At one point, he says, I'm one of those stay-at-home dads everyone is always talking about. And then it cuts to him at home, and it's very clear he stays home because he doesn't have a job. Uh, and he's just, like, he goes out drinking all night and, like, you know, doing anything with a skirt, etc. Um, it seems... So he's lying. He's lying to the cops. His wife's also lying. Um, then we cut to a funeral scene. Three baby coffins. <laughs> Aww. It's heavy. I mean... Like, stacked on top of each other? I wish. You know, I was thinking, considering they are a poor family, they could have saved money by just getting one One adult coffin and putting the three kids kids in a trench coat. Exactly. And then just laying them But later we find out the town raised the money for the funeral, which is Uh, nice. So yeah, we're at the funeral. It's a cloudy day. Everyone's sad because three dead babies. They only bought one tombstone, though, so that's very cost-effective. And then they're leaving... The funeral, the wife is very mad, and she's like, you didn't rescue my babies, blah, 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 stop the car, let me out. He's, like, swerving. And then the cops pull him over and pull out their guns, a lot of guns, and they say, you're under arrest. And then they're pointing a gun at the wife. To the father. Yes. Okay. And it's for murder, Murder. not for swerving. Sure. And (laughs) the cops are just, like, they come with guns out. And I was like, that seems super excessive. And then they get him, he's in handcuffs, they're taking him away, and there's just a cop standing on the driver's side of the car just pointing a gun finger on trigger at the wife and i was like this seems fucked up but we're now is this couple african-american no they are very well oh yeah so so, but they didn't get shot so okay you know there's a little accuracy and um also we're in texas so you have to assume everything's worse (laughs) (laughs) everything legally is worse um Let's see where we are. So he gets taken to jail. He's put in a cell. It's like a really small town cell. There's two beds. And I noticed they weren't bunk beds, which seemed to be a marker of the fact of how small this town is. Because I feel like the standard jail idea is like bunk, like two bunk beds. I feel like I've seen the two. It, it felt yeah. more like a hotel. Okay. In fact, I think it very well <laughs> could, it very well could have been filmed in like a like a hostel or something because <laughs> it, it gave me very big vibes at that. Um, he comes in and his roomie is just like, "Man, you need to calm down. What's up?" And then he proceeds to knock all his shit off the shelf, pour food over his head, and generally verbally abuse him, which is kind of a dick move. Sure. What and kind it, of food? 
It's like, I think he crushes up like a, a packet of ramen, like noodles, and pours it over his head. Anyway. It's not nice. So yeah, he's very rude to the first person he's met in prison. And this will come back to bite him very hard. Excuse me. So, there's a trial. It's a doozy. Man maybe killed his three kids. Not a great look. Um, there's a fire expert. He comes in and says, he says all this stuff like, it was clearly arson. It wasn't. Um, if I've ever been wrong, no one's ever pointed it out. That's what the fire expert says. And that's a very dumb thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> that's like saying, I've, no one's ever told me I've been wrong. That means you've been wrong a lot. And he is wrong, but we'll get there much later. Cause this is a very long movie. Two hours and seven minutes felt like seven hours and two minutes. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Wife gets on the stand. She is super stock homie. Like. She's clearly being beaten by her husband a lot, and her yeah, she has a family history of that, and she's just like, won't make eye contact, and she's trying to avoid questions, and it's just very sad and um, unredeemable. It's like, it's like watching teeth get pulled. And here I wrote down an anagram, and I don't remember what it means. T-K-A-M-B. So you mean an acronym? An acronym, yes. Uh, what does that mean? It had something to do with... To Kill a Mocking? Yes! There. It It felt like... Thank you, by the way. It felt like that scene where, like, they're trying to get the woman who's clearly lying to tell the truth, and she's just, like, fighting it so hard. Like, right. it, it had big vibes of, like, a dramatic courtroom scene. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, God. Um, he... And, uh, he's... They're both yelling. He's clearly just like yelling stuff like why ain't y'all telling the truth blah 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 blah. he's not playing ball basically he's not a good person to have in court <laughs> he shouldn't be there basically um and then at the very end of the trial the defense reads a, a segment of the bible and says to the jury please consider this as you deliberate which seems also uncool it seems also quite texan <laughs> very texan and also i don't know Seems like the church and the state thing you're supposed to keep separate. But hey, it's Texas, so. The deliberation happens in like 12 minutes. <laughs> and I uh, gets the death penalty. He gets taken into jail. He's wearing his DR death row jumpsuit. Everyone's doing the fresh fish thing. Orange, black and white. White. Okay. Big DR on the back. And he sings. Death row gets their own. Is that a thing? I don't know. They get the cool sure. fits. It's kind of like the last meal. You know, you, yeah. Okay, we'll give you the. By the way, last meal list. we'll get to very underplayed in this movie, okay. which is a bummer. But yeah, I think it depends on the jail. I'm trying to think because I work in a pris historical prison part of the year. I've also been to Alcatraz and several other prisons. I think it depends. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's nutty, man. But yeah, he also cuts the sleeves off almost immediately. Cool. Which, it, I I feel like that would get you some prison demerits. Yeah. He also um. There's a guard there. The nun guard pulls out a ruler. Oh, he's getting taken in. And there's this guard who becomes his friend after his 12 years of incarceration. But right now he's a dick. And he's doing this weird tight five. Like he's doing a little... The guard? Yeah, he's doing like a mean comedy bit to him. And he's like... About how he murdered his children? Yeah, he's like baby killer. He's like doing all this stuff. He's like talking about... They point down death row and he's like, yeah, you see that door? Don't worry, you'll see it again. And he's... <laughs> and then he's like something about... He talks about his last meal and he's like, oh, pick your poison. <laughs> Get it? Poison? That's what we're gonna put in you. He's doing this just awful. Like, you can tell... We have fun here. <laughs> it was just that vibe. And I was just like, Jesus, man, you really got picked on in high school, didn't you? Um, and then he gets taken to, like, his first shower, and he decides, I'm gonna fight the biggest guy I can see. 
just a great instinct. He gets thrown in solitary. He gets the shit beaten out of him. And then it goes on like a five minute like scene of him having flashbacks and losing his mind and like punching the mattress and just like, you know, generally solitary confinement vibes. And like he's, it starts with him remembering good times and then it slowly goes to like worse and worse and you just see how bad of a person. Like throughout he, his life? like just More, sort of... more like recently. Like maybe in like the three years leading up to uh, uh, gotcha. the murder okay. that he didn't commit, but he was tried for. So yeah, he's having flashbacks. Bad time. It's very clear. He's not a good person. I feel like the f- more you get into this movie, the more unredeemable he becomes. And later they try to pepper in things to make him seem redeemable. And I still don't think he is. But he didn't murder his children. He did not murder his children. But he still was a very bad husband and man for the first 24 years of his life. But we'll get there. Um, He's adjusting. He's writing his wife, who doesn't want anything. Kind of, like, she's still, like, Stockholm-y. Like, she wants to help him, but, like, her family is, like, telling her all this stuff. We find out later she has a cop brother who's, tell like, li- straight up lying to her and being like, if you help him get out, they're going to come after you for this. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. it's all this, like, deep Texas cop family stuff, and I'm just like, ugh, God. It, get, it gets worse, don't worry. Um, let's see, let's see. Uh, okay, he's on death row. He makes a friend, his black cellmate, don't remember his name. They're cool, they start to talk, because, you know, you need someone to talk to. This guy says, uh, you ain't got capital, you get punished. And they have these nice little... It's <laughs> Ooh, fun. He's, like he, this is also the guy that says the thing about the Supreme Court. Um, he also tells him, hey, you could get a free lawyer if you write to the Texas blah 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 initiative, whatever. So he gets a lawyer. Um, the lawyer said, gives him a bunch of books and his trial transcript says, like, read this. You'll find a way. We'll get you out. Yeah. Where am I going with this? Does he get a lawyer? He gets a lawyer, yes. And we find out that the lawyer then works with him for seven years. Is the lawyer Darren? It is not. In fact, we'll get there very soon, I promise. Um, he At one point, he's getting a shower, and wet, this man looks very much like Kid Rock. He looks like... Wet, he looks about half as much more like Kid Rock. We, we're about to cut ahead seven years, and he cuts his mullet, and he looks okay. a lot better. Gotcha. Like, he, he, they definitely scuzz him up for his 24-year-old self, but, like, his almost 30-year-old self is much more... He, he gets he gets more like he's clearly been reading and like trying to work on himself. Sure. I still don't think he's a good person, but you know, he's at least trying. And I want our listeners to know that if this were the type of podcast where we added any sort of production value, we would now insert a brief clip of the Wesley Willis song, Cut the Mullet. <laughs> um, so you can just imagine that there. Yeah. I've never heard that song, but... I'm going Cut to the to mullet. There we Cut go. The... If you don't know Wesley Willis, go listen to Wesley Willis. He was R.I.P. What a legend. So, um, he, wet, he looks like Kid Rock. This all comes because he's in the shower, just taking a shower alone because he's on death row and that's what they make him do. And um, the mean guard like switches off for another guard and it's clear that he's listening to this guard talk about his kids because, you know, he has nothing. He wants to listen to conversation and the guard is being all pissy and, like, choking him a little. And the, the uh, Todd is just like, you know, I had kids and stuff. Why are you being a dick? And then uh, he gets back to his cell and he's talking to his celly and he's like, he's just a screw, probably got picked on in high school, which is exactly what I said earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, his friend gets the squirt squirt. Real bummer. Oh, poison? Yeah. yeah. He gets the poison. <laughs> he gets lethal injection because it's death row. And then we cut ahead seven years 
to none other than Laura Dern. Dern! Um, Dern is back and down! Now, it is very unclear what her occupation is. At first, we think she is Lawyer Dern, as she has been in the past. Sure. But this is not true. It takes about 20 minutes of hemming and hawing, and then we figure out she's just a writer. But she picks up this lady, uh, stuck motorist, gives her her address. This lady's like, I think you can help me. And then Todd writes her and says, I think you can help me. And um, she's a writer. I don't know why they think she could help. I mean, she's... Like, do they want her to write about the case? I guess that's the idea. Investigative journalism? Something. I mean, she's like... She also, she meets with her dying ex-husband, who has cancer, and she, and he's, he gives this pleasant exposition of her being a very caring philanthropist, philanderer, that's not it, (laughs) a very helpful philanderer, philanthropic, philanthropic woman, she like, helps the African children on the TV, and like, she like, gives money to the Santas, you know, all this stuff, Mm -hmm. and more like, real things, not just like, giving money to stuff, but... Um, she, we cut to her kitchen. She has a big old computer because it's 1999. Also, when (laughs) she's, um, picking up the woman, she's listening to country radio because she's in Texas Mm -hmm. and there's just a very 1999 country song on, but I cannot remember what it was. Ah. Wow. What is it? I think it's like Brooks and Dunn or it's like, it's a very 1999 country song. And I was like, oh yeah, here oh, we yeah. go. Was it Write This Down by George Strait? No, it wasn't. Maybe a little Tim McGraw. It was that, uh, Chesney? Do Chesney was all you can. Get in your old jeans. Want your body back from when you're 17. It's that one. I know this <laughs> because my family used to go to a lake a lot. So I've heard a lot of country music. <laughs> And I feel like there was a there was a window of my life for like three years when we did that, when there wasn't like new shitty country music and it was like bearable. Sure, yeah. And then the it George started. Strainer. Then it started to break out and like more modern stuff. And I was like, ah, I don't want this. I, I think want... I talked about it on here once how I recently <laughs> George Strait had heard actually gay. <laughs> I had heard Kenny Chesney, and I've never been a country guy. But to, oh, I was listening to some random country radio station. Yeah, as you do. And it was like song after song of these no-name random pretty boys doing country today. And it's the most derivative, talentless shit. And then like a Kenny Chesney song. And I was like, oh, this guy can sing. I was like, I never realized there's like a clear divide between some of the people who are deserving of their acclaim in that field and... Lots and lots of trash. I think one of my favorite things about, like, the older Comedy Central roasts is that there were a good two or three where Kenny Chesney was one of the roasters for some reason. And every person on the panel was just like, Kenny, I'm so glad you could make, you could take time away from spitting on Mexicans to be here. <laughs> and they would just drill him on stuff like that. It was uh, uh, just so deeply funny. Anyway. <laughs> Roast of Donald Trump. Just go check over it. some good banter between just, Kenny Chesney and Lisa Lampanelli. Oh, whatever happened to her? She's doing something cool. I think she she like bailed on comedy because no, she was spirited or something. Yeah, I have heard she's doing neat stuff. She had something. She was like surprisingly warm hearted, oh. considering she was just like the most vulgar, <laughs> mean, insult comic ever. Oh, so where were we? Ah, big old computer. Um. She's got, like, a hectic family, like, uh, the kids are teenagers, you know, teenagers are very thankless, um, 
at one point her daughter says, I can't believe you're going to visit a murderer. So gross. So this is Dern's family. Yes. So we, like, get into, like, her... Oh, yeah. She is very much a character. Deep in her family, yes. She, like, from this point, this is about a little less than halfway in, and she becomes a very main character for the rest of the film. Okay. She's, like, she has a little bit of a southern twang, but not, like, crazy. She's And it's 2018, so, you know, it's just, it's Dern. Mm Mm-hmm. She has, like... In this movie, she has, like, children equal to her own children's age, and I was like, that's probably interesting for her. But I'm sure her real children are probably not just, like, thankless monsters. Uh, (laughs) I hope. Spoiled assholes. Oh, I hope they are. I hope they're terrors. I bet she's a good one. I hope one gets, like, a vanity record to, like, make shitty pop music and then does lots of drugs and wrecks a car. (laughs) So... Don't you? I a little. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I want her to have good kids because she's a good lady. Laura Dern, we love her. Um, <laughs> whatever. So <laughs> she goes to visit him because you know she doesn't got much else going on. He's doing better. He looks less scuzzy. Um, he's describing his life before he got arrested, and like he's very, he's being very charming and being very like idyllic idyllic of his life before the thing happened sure which wasn't fair because like he was still a dick and he does say like i wasn't a great guy and like you there are definitely scenes where like he owns up to that but sure. not enough and like near the end he kind of becomes a dick again for a little bit it's complicated so she goes to visit um and then after this visit we cut to lord dern at a book club they uh, Man, I wrote down what book... I meant to write down what book they were reading, but I don't remember. So it's a book club, and it's, like, all these moms, like, all these divorced moms, and they're just talking about, like, oh, can't believe you met a murderer. My God, what about your children? What would you do? They're talking about, like, guns and, you know, Texas moms being moms. It's pretty mommy. Um, Mm -hmm. Then the dad dies. (laughs) She gets home from the book club, and her kids are sitting in this one spot, which we see them in the same spot in the house multiple times, sitting in the same exact position, which makes me think maybe they just, like, knocked these scenes out all just in one all day. At once. We see them, like, crying and, like, dad died. And then a little bit later, we see, like, the boy playing the guitar and the girl reading in literally the same, same exact position. positions and spots. And I was like, damn. You could see the shirt they had been wearing <laughs> under the shirt they are wearing. <laughs> so they're just changing the studio lights for time of day. Um... So, at this point, she decides to go all in and help this man. Prop, like, part, you could tell part of it is that she wants to help him. Part of it is, like, avoiding her dead ex-husband, sure. memory, all that jazz. Um, she goes and visits again, and he does this weird thing where he's like, you're so pretty. And I was like, okay, that's good. You stop. And then he keeps going. He's like, why don't you get up and give me a twirl? And she's just like, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then they move on. And I was like... That was just creepy enough to make me not like him still. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, he's been in jail now for like... <laughs> was she, what was she wearing? Was she wearing like she a, a smart pants suit? He's yeah, like, pretty much. Twirl around. She was wearing like a blouse and pants. <laughs> Nothing crazy. <laughs> and he's been in jail long enough, like, you know, you think that would go away. Oh, no, I, I think, think that, that, that's know. probably why it's there. I guess. Hasn't seen seen a nice bloused woman. <laughs> a tall blonde in a blouse. Yeah, they don't, they don't have casual Fridays at jail, believe it or not. But yeah, um, he's but he's been pretty cooped up. He's in basically, not solitary confinement, but death row is like single cells. You could talk to the people one over, one over. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. For He's been in jail for at least seven years now. Seven or eight, as many as 12. I don't really care. But... Uh, yeah. 
Uh, the hard ass guard starts becoming like cool. Like they're like talking about like the cowboys and stuff, and like they were starting to become friends because you know they've been daily seeing each other for like seven years now. It'll, sure, it's, it'll happen. Go uh, cowboys! Exactly, go cowboys! Um, and then he he's telling him that he talks to his daughter, and this begins a bunch of scenes where he's sitting in his cell and talking to an imaginary child who no one else can see but him. And it's only one of his daughters, which I think is very clever huh. because you save money. <laughs> you save money and resources by only hiring one of the kids to be in the whole movie. Because they could only book the room at the Quality Inn. <laughs> I mean, for a weekend. I don't know if you know this general public listening, but it is very difficult to film with a child. You can only make them work so many hours mm-hmm. and you need to provide them with schooling on set if that's a thing for that time of year. It's a nightmare. Yeah, that's why they had the, the Olsen triplets. Exactly. And uh, one of those kids, they're, you you know what I'm about to say, right? Yeah. Comet on Full House actually um, was the third killed one, one of the, <laughs> the third, the triplets. It was a vicious mall. And they had to put him down, and then they kept the two, and, you know, that's why they had such a rough life. Because <laughs> they had to live with the legacy of their dead third triplet, <laughs> who would haunt them. by the family golden retriever. <laughs> Was I with you? We'll get back to this. Um, We were talking about how the outside of the Full House house looks and how the inside looks and how inconceivable it is. It was not I. But yeah, that house was a fucking mansion. It was. Internally. And like, I was thinking, because if you look at the house, it's not impossible. Like how the house looks on the show. And some of these row homes, these city homes, like I've been to like... You know, some walk-ups in Brooklyn where it can feel because it's like a little box on the yeah. road. Or even in Philly and some of these you go in and it's there's a lot like, of real estate in there. Because like that house, the physical house, if you look at it, it's like three stories tall and like, you know, none of the rooms are crazily big. Like it would make sense. But then if you look at pictures of the actual inside of the actual house, it just it's so modern and weird looking. It's really upsetting. If you like Full House, don't look at the house because yeah. you'll get bummed. Ooh, it's a $5.5 million home. (laughs) Yeah, hey man. And if you go there now, I went there a few years ago, we were visiting, and there's just so many signs on the house, like, please be quiet, people live in and around this house. Yeah, oh, can you imagine? They shouldn't have moved into a fucking TV house. (laughs) What do you expect? (laughs) You you don't move into the Amityville Horror House and not have people there all the time. Which I would love to live in, by the way. I, I, it's funny cause I hear they have such a hard time selling it but people always buy it and I don't think nothing happens anymore but like you know it's just a famous house that people were murdered yeah. in and, and like 18 movies were based on not too far from All American Burger the best burger joint there is in Amityville New York so road trip yeah <laughs> we'll record live at All American Burger I would absolutely do that I'll write that down um uh, so they're corresponding back and forth. They're getting to know each other. And then Dern is like digging into all this testimony. She's finding a lot of conflicting things. Like the woman who lived across the street that called the cops originally, like on the scene, she was saying was like, yeah, she was saying like, oh, he was like breaking the windows, trying to get his kids out. Like he was crying and sobbing. And then later in court, she was testifying and being like, he came out and he didn't even try to help wait a minute that's a thing that was pretty fucked up and they didn't even go into that any further and i was like that seems weird um we find out the public defender really didn't try at all (laughs) he didn't question anyone he didn't really do his job he was just kind of sitting there and let the whole thing play through um and the public defender didn't really care 
He was just like, I don't know, he's a dick. I'm not going to help him. Which seems... I hate this. That, that, right? This it makes gets, my blood boil. And it gets worse, believe it or not. Um, Dern is being real persistent. She's like pressing everybody. She's pressing the lawyer that's been working on this seven years and being like, we got to get this guy out. We know we can do it. We know there's evidence. Sorry, I'm getting a call that I'm going to silence. Um, Where were we? Oh, she goes and visits the Selly from the beginning who testified in the trial, basically saying that he admitted that he did it. Or he admitted that, like, the kids were dead when he got there and he burned down the house to cover it, which was a lie. And she's basically saying, like, so the DA paid you off to do this, right? And he just starts, like, being like, I got a gun, lady. She she goes to his house and she gets, like, she starts getting really, like, friendly and chummy. Like, over the course of five minutes, she's, like, getting real into She's like, oh, welding, that's neat. You go to the place in Dallas to learn that and all this stuff. And then she's like, in this same tone of, like, familiar, friendly talk. And she's like, so did the B- DA uh, pay you off to say that then? Did they give you a shorter sentence? And he's, like, starting to freak out. Although, like, he's out now. Like, he's free. It's not like if he admits it or recants his testimony, he'll go back to jail. Right. But, you know, this whole thing. And then she, he's just like, I have a gun. And she's like, I'm going to leave. But an innocent man's going to die because of you. We'll get back to him later. Um, We find out he has one more appeal left. He's used six of his seven appeals, and this is his last one. Uh, Ooh, they're like timeouts? Oh, we're, yes, basically. (laughs) And, like, we're getting down to the wire now. Um, We find out that the doctor who was on the trial and said that he was a sociopath had never met him. He, in fact, was nicknamed Dr. Death because he was a doctor they brought in to get people the death penalty. He also was suspended, his license was suspended for doing this what exact thing. Fuck? It gets worse, believe it or not. Um, we go to Laura Dern. She's on the radio and she's basically like on this big national Texas show and she's like, I'm going to get him freed because he clearly didn't do it. And like the radio host is like, you know, everyone hates him, right? And she was just like, well, he's innocent. So suck an egg. And right as this is happening, um, Todd gets his date. He has like 17 days now before he gets the needle. And uh, it's getting down to the line. It's getting pretty nervy. I'm getting, I, it is, un, from this point forward, it is so uncomfortable to watch this movie. Um, he then, like, he's with Laura Dern and he's like kind of mad and upset and like he's being a little mean to her, which is fair. He's going to die soon. Yeah. Um, and he says, I lied. I lied to everyone. And at this point I was like, oh, this movie's going to bust right open. And what he lied about was that he didn't try to go into the bedroom to save the girls because he knew they were dead. And that's all he lied about. And I was like, that was really underwhelming. <laughs> Wait, he... So he was, like, inside the house. He didn't start the fire. He never admits that, and he doesn't... He didn't do it, essentially. But he basically... In the trial, when he was on the stand, he said he, like, busted into the girls' room to try to get them, but it was too hot, so he left. Gotcha. He didn't bust into the room. Gotcha. Yeah, that's it. Okay. That's what he lied about. And he said that to Dern, and then he says this thing, like, if a man can't protect his kids, he deserves to die. And I was like, that's empirically not true, but, you know, Texas. It's fine. Texas. I hope our international listeners are enjoying this this frank discussion about Texas politics and the American death penalty. It's a blast. Um, Dern goes to his ex-wife and basically is like, hey, he's gonna get it. You need to go visit him, at least to see him before he dies. And then she says this whole thing about her cop brother who lied to her, which was super uncool. Um, they get this like very noted forensic dude to like look over the case, and he... They go and visit him. 
he looks like David Letterman now. Like, he has a big white beard. Oh, and I, at first, I really thought he was David Letterman. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, that'd be so cool if David Letterman was just in this weird movie because he didn't like Perfect. the death penalty or something. Right. But it wasn't him. And he goes into this whole thing about um Zodiac. And it's this scene I the really killer? enjoy. No, like, just oh. Zodiac signs. He's talking about astrology. And then he's talking, he's like, do it going on this whole thing. And then he says, like, when astronomers came out, they basically disproved astrology, like saying, at least like saying it wasn't like a science in the way. Yes. It's like a different kind of science. And then he basically shows them how the entire report was wrong. That was written up, how they were looking for what they wanted to find. They didn't look at the fact that like the glass patterns were wrong. It was very clear that the um, heating unit caused the fire, all this stuff. Um, he burns a puddle of gas. He does this glass trick. Like it's all, it's very cool. Like, like CSI stuff, but like, it seems more realistic because it's just this dude like doing it in his house and he just cool. does this for a living. And, um, Bill Nye, the getting people off death row guy. Yeah, exactly. And like, then at the end they're like, Oh, this is amazing. How can we pay you? And he says, um, I don't believe in astrology. And then, like, this whole he's thing was... Saying, like, he, he's saying, like... what the people... What the... the yes. He says he doesn't believe in astrology, but he believes in karma. So basically he's saying, like, the people who did the original report were astrologists. Um, yes, astrologists, yes. and he is an astronomer, and, like, he's basically saying they're dicks. Sure. Long story short. Um, and then he does it for free. They send it to the governor. They get an instant denial. Like, it shows them getting the facts and just stamping it without reading it. And everyone's freaking out. The lawyer's like, you literally can't do that. And the DA is like, well, Texas. Um, Does he have have his thumbs in his belt loops when he says it? Nah. I mean, we we don't actually. Paddling at his jeans. We just see the stamp. We don't actually hear. But we cut to the lawyer on the phone and he's like super mad. He's like, he's yelling. He's like, how late is the governor's office open? And we hear the intercom come on and she's just like, you don't have to yell. We have an intercom system. (laughs) It's it's a funny little thing. But it's really sad. Um, The wife comes and visits Todd. Um, They bicker. Which I think is fair, because she never visited him in 12 years. And um, he's basically like, hey, what happened to all that insurance money we got for the kids? Um, why didn't you use that to get me a lawyer? And she's like, oh, And the guard now is being incredibly nice to him. Like, they are clearly very good friends. Um, they're taking him into, like, a closer cell to death row, to the chair or the table, whatever. And he's just, he has this big, long football talk about the Hail Mary pass in some Dallas football game. And he's like, you need that. And I was like, that's kind of cool, I guess. Yeah. You need a football. Hail Mary. <laughs> there you go. Texas. Lone Star. Um, oh, the Sally from the beginning. He's sitting in a bar and he sees like the news coverage of like the guy has like five days before he gets it. And he writes a letter and he sends it to the DA and he's like, I'm recanting my testimony he is innocent, blah, blah, blah. Wow. DA literally throws it right in the drawer and closes it. And I was like, great! Yeehaw. Love it! You sent to the wrong guy. Um, oh, gosh. I don't even know anymore. Then, like, the wife is on TV, and she doesn't speak. It's her brother, and her brother is basically claiming that he admitted the murder to her when she visited, which didn't happen. Um, there's, like, an hour and a half left. Dern is on. <laughs> There's an hour and a half before he gets it. Dern is on her way, and she's like, "Oh, we play him in the movie." No, no. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. There's an hour and a half left, so <laughs> buckle up. No, there's an hour and a half left. Dern is on her way, and she gets hit by a fucking garbage truck. What? Yeah. 
This happened. By the way, all a true story. This really happened. She just gets deus ex machina. Yeah, she gets slammed, and she's like... By the way, this is our first time we've had an almost dying Dern. I'll bring that up. Oh, we never... She did not die, but this is the only time, like, we have had a critical condition Dern. Mm Mm-hmm. Which was interesting. Um, we find out she may never walk again, and he's, like, waiting on a phone call from her. And he's in his last cell, he's, like, hanging out, he talks to the nice guard, and he's like, am I, did I get a phone call? And he's like, no. So he's quickly scribbling a letter, and then they come to get him, and he's, like, sitting on the ground, like, hands tucked in, and they're like, come on, and he's like, nah, not doing it. So they have to, like, pick him up, and he's just screaming. And he he kind of has reason to do this. Oh, yeah, like, he's stalling. He's trying to... There's a chance... He could, and uh, get yeah. Off at this point, <clears throat> pretty big bummer. Sad, broken system. System's sure. broken. Um, and you really think the governor's gonna call? You really think like it's gonna? No, nah, I, I, I hate to burst your bubble. I don't think he that dies. One he gets the needle. Um, yeah, it's really awful. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention his last meal is completely underplayed. And, like, there's even a scene earlier where he's talking to his original Sally, like, earlier, before the seven-year jump, about a last meal. And then, like, we see a video of him and his cell eating his meal, and they don't even talk about it. Like, I, that is, man, it's like he's eating, like, rib barbecue and, like, pies. I don't know. I would have liked to had a little more. There could have been, I'm sure there was a scene they filmed of him ordering his last meal. Yeah, eat your cow. This movie was already over two hours long. What's another four minutes? Sure. But, yeah, he's on the slab. His last words, he has this whole thing about how he's innocent, ashes to ashes, yada yada. When they first open the curtain, he's like, why is that bitch gotta be here? Referring to his ex-wife. Which is fair, especially at this point. Sure. Um, and then he dies, very painfully. And, uh... Yeah. So, yeah. That's what happens. Um, and then we cut to Laura Dern sitting in a cemetery... And we're hearing, like, the recording of him reading his last letter, like, in her head. She's reading it in his voice. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, having this dream about him with the girls walking outside. And he sees her and, like, he's free. It's, like, this whole thing about not being in jail. And, uh, yeah, Laura Dern is in a wheelchair. They spread his ashes over his daughter's graves, which is was one of the things he said in his final words. It was his wish. And, uh, yeah, and then we have a few, a few, like, as they wheel her away, like, over the screen, like, text, text things. And um, one of them was that Texas still will not publicly admit that they fucked up this case. Shocking. They also said since, I think, 1993, there have been over 180 U.S. Um, P- US citizens put to death who had evidence come out after the fact that they were innocent. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they showed this clip from one of the, de- a debate or something of, like, a president, a presidential debate or something of a Texas governor, and they were asking about the death penalty, and he just, like, was like, I don't have trouble sleeping at night. We have a good system. Yeah. Uh, and then we stopped the movie because I couldn't watch anymore. But yeah, um, so this movie was a whole bummer. Mm-hmm. It was all true. And uh, yeah, it's real bad. Yeah. I've been in a Texas courtroom myself for proceedings. And I, okay. I can't wait for you to tell me about that. I guess. Mike. I, no, I can tell you about Let it now. I wasn't know. in court. I was. I wasn't. I was just a visitor. Um, I went to Texas, El Paso, for a service immersion program when I went to Temple, and it was basically just like go to El Paso, meet with a bunch of people, hear stories. It was very interesting. That is interesting. And we went to immigration court, and as you can imagine, 
pretty big bummer. And it was basically a judge saying like, oh man, I know the backup legally is like 20 years, but you have to go through that. You can't just jump the wall and come here. Tough titty. Basically, yeah. And he was just doing this. And then we met with him after and everyone, we were drilling him. Yeah. <laughs> we also met with a uh, border secure, a board, like a border guard. This is fun. For those that don't know, oh no, El Paso, Texas is right on the border. Yes. We in fact went to the border literally to the border and we met with a guard and we just drilled him and it was fun but you know yeah it's amazing how bad the system is especially in texas mm-hmm. don't go to texas if you're gonna no. murder somebody if you're gonna murder someone don't, don't do, do it, it in texas, texas. If, if you're gonna enter the country legally i advise not texas yeah and um if this makes your blood boil and you want yeah. to do something about uh, it go to check, texas. Out, <laughs> check out the innocence project yeah um i imagine those stats probably came directly from oh them. for sure they, they're sort of the the standard bearers for fighting against this and trying to get people off death row who are there unfairly and it's a scary large number of people so yeah if you might have been able to tell by um the way we celebrated when donald trump lost as if a dictator had died um the american system in large is broken and needs to be fixed so yeah we ain't fixing the death penalty anytime uh, soon you know we we are a vengeful people something there was even a scene where Laura Dern was taught, I think it was at the book club, and she was like, aren't we past that? Like, just getting back at people? Like, the death penalty is just nope. like, yeah, we're not. And we're basically not. one of the moms was like, fuck you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, great. It, I mean, but to, the death penalty fits perfectly within our broader prison system, right? To To recognize the inhumanity of the death penalty then requires you to look at the inhumanity of the entire incarceration system. So it's not like you can just, like, tweak the thing up top and make that better. Um, you can't just play with the balls. You gotta do the whole package. Right. Gotta work the shafts if we want to get anywhere with this. And one last thing on this awful note. Um, if you are in the San Francisco or Philadelphia areas, I advise you... I don't know if they're currently running tours at Alcatraz, but take a tour of either Alcatraz or Eastern State because they are two very good um, prisons where they talk a lot about prison reform and how awful it was. Because, you know, they could just as easily try to glorify it, which I'm sure some prisons historically do. But, you know, they're good ones to go to if you want to learn about the system and how it can be changed and how broken it is, has been, and will continue to be. Yeah. So yeah, um, I, I have a question for you. Yo, what's up? Have you seen the film Dead Man Walking? Does that star Kevin Spacey by chance? It does not. It's okay. Sean Penn and Susan Sarandon. Ooh, it's from 1995. That sounds good. The truth will set you free. Huh. I have not seen this. It sounds oh, a lot of parallels in a movie I would highly recommend... Um, to everyone uh, it's a fantastic film from 1995 um, Susan Sarandon is a nun who and Sean Penn is also a, a nun racist piece of shit from uh, Louisiana nice. who is on death row for murdering a teenage couple um, and Susan Sarandon is basically trying to get him to one you don't know if he did it or not until the end um but susan sarandon is basically trying to give this what appears to be monstrous man who apparently did something absolutely horrible 
um, a chance to redeem himself. And he maintains his innocence. And now, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen this 25-year-old movie. One thing I loved about it. Oh, he did it. <laughs> he did. You find out he absolutely did. Oh, and it's not. Man. And it is. It is about when someone does something so so horrible. Is there room for redemption? And the movie, and certainly what Susan Sarandon's character, who's based on the real life sister Helen Prejean, um, would say yes. That even even the most monstrous of people who do the most commit the most heinous acts are, um, you know, not there's still an opportunity for redemption. And that's a message that really vibes with me. And if you do believe that, then obviously the idea that anyone would ever get executed for anything is kind of awful. Um, It's a very powerful film. And like this one, a fucking downer. I do love a good Susan Sarandon jaunt. One of her best, in my opinion. Well... Now that that uh, happy, fun, good time is over, what's between your turns, Max? Oof, what do we got? Um, as I said, I was out in um, rural PA this weekend for a, a family wedding. I was a groomsman. Ah. Um, I got lovely shoes that I'm very proud of. I really like them. Ooh. But you'll love this. Swanky. So I ordered a pair of shoes online, which, as you may have surmised from Nick's constant belittling of my diminutive stature, um, are sometimes hard to find. I'm, uh, I'm on the quite quite on the left tail of the bell curve when it comes to <laughs> shoe size, especially. Um, so I got a men's size seven, mm-hmm. which, uh, for those who don't know, is like laughably small. And they are way too big. <laughs> I had to jam. I spent 20 minutes rolling up toilet paper and jamming it into the toes. <laughs> oh, um, because that's nice. the life I have to live. Well, you know, I'm, I keep telling you, you need to start buying uh, clothes from the American Doll Store, but American <laughs> Girl, girl doll store, store, sorry. American Girl Doll Store. I mean, I'm sure they have some doll clothes at like, uh, what's it called? That toy store in New York. Um, F.A.O. Schwartz. F.A.O. Schwartz. Which, by the way, no, they had to give up their original location because of Manhattan rents. So now they just open yearly as a pop-up. Oh. Although I don't also, know by the way, let's, who, gives, who cares, right? Let's, there shouldn't be famous toy stores. I think there should be one. <laughs> and now there isn't, so whatever. You win. <laughs> you win this round. Yes. Turn it into condos. <laughs> There should be no fuck business them. in Manhattan. They're only fuck, housing. Fuck their giant piano. Not anymore. Not anymore. There is. You cannot fuck that piano. Aw. Well, you can for a few months a year, but I don't even know if they're doing it this year, so what do I know? Have Have you danced on the giant piano? I have danced on the giant piano. I was did there. Did you do... What did you do? Chopsticks? Mm, I don't think I did chopsticks. We I think were, of I course, just... referring to the classic uh, child rape masterpiece, <laughs> Big. Ah, uh, yes, Big. You know, I just watched some of uh, Sleepless in Seattle last night, which also features a younger Tom Hanks. Not quite as young as Big, but right. still young. Is it hold up? Isn't it crazy that he just became old at some point? Like, what year? No? It's weird. Like, <laughs> I, one of my one of my between the Derns, like, must have been from, like, the year he started to get old. Because, like, I feel like I see so many movies where he's young and so many movies where he's, like, an adult, like a man now. But, like, there's... I feel like there's no in between. 
Yeah, I yeah, he definitely took on a more. I feel like in the mid '90s he became. Right when he became, and it's kind of funny when he became sort of America's sweetheart. Felt like the old older Hanks. I feel like right? the year two thousand for me he's, he's is gentle. the switchover. Okay, because I specifically the thing I saw was from the year two thousand. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, feel free to empty your durance all over the table. Sure, I watched um, a Netflix hit show, The Queen's Gambit. Ooh. And might I say, as a fan of television and. As uh, an amateur chess player and hobbyist myself, oh, it's so goddamn good. <laughs> it's so good. Nice. It will make you want to eat a bunch of tranquilizers so you too can become a chess prodigy. <laughs> um, no, it was very good, a compelling story, and especially if you ask anyone who has any interest in chess, like a pet peeve. Chess in movies is laughably... It's like, oh, you didn't even try. You don't even know how to set the board up. Like, it's... Um, and so this, to be based on... Basically tells the story of a chess, child chess prodigy starting in local tournaments and then going on the national, international level, etc. And it feels very true to that in terms of the the types of people... The types of, like, the work it takes, kind of the environment, how it's set up. Um, and very cool in that way. I really enjoyed it. And also just this compelling story. And you're just rooting hard for for this girl because she kicks ass. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, and... Let's see. That might be it between Moderns. Oh, I started watching the show Wayne on Amazon Prime. I've seen the one cool. video of him dancing. That yeah, looks I haven't fun. gotten to that weird dance yet, but he's just um, from. It's a young, troubled, lower class boy. Not yet, teenage high schooler. Um, he's 16. And he has a real mean streak, but sort of stands up to bullies. He's, like, from, like, you know, violent, racist Boston. Um, and his... Everyone just feels like a piece of shit. <laughs> and so he's got a lot of people to fight. Um, and a pleasant surprise, the principal of his school is played by former uh nickelodeon guts host michael o'malley whoa yeah yes. it was nice seeing michael o'malley back on the small oh, screen mike gotta pay that mortgage i do remember my favorite moment from guts where he <laughs> watching that if you have a chance go watch nickelodeon guts he he deserves all the credit in the world <laughs> for this like over the top exciting energy when like to make it look like more than just like a a studio where they like set up some games, basically. I remember when he's like, "Fire up the hibachi, cause it's time to go!" Like just this over the top high energy. Nice. And he's good in Wayne, and it's pretty good. But I only watched two episodes, so if anything, if it falls apart at the end, don't blame me. <laughs> Also, we have a new president-elect. Seventh inning stretch. Oh, can have some dogs in the White House. Yeah, I don't care for the dogs. But I do care for... Um, now we, we can add to the list of 
we can add to the likes of Milhouse and Gamaliel and Grover. Um, of course, Robinette mm. as one of the finest presidential middle names we've ever experienced. That sounds like if there was a branch off comic and Robin got his own thing, like where Batman and Robin <laughs> and his girlfriend was like also a superhero, like Robin and Robinette. See, I was thinking like like the Ronettes, like uh, a, a 60s so like a girl group. 60s girl band, but they're all like Robin. But they're all Joe Biden. (laughs) 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 Like three Joe Bidens with long black hair. Dresses. (laughs) Synchronized dancing and singing together. All I want for Christmas is you. That'd be good. Yeah. Wow. By the way, I'm bummed that every store now has Christmas stuff out. I am not, because Christmas stuff is cool. I mean... The way you feel about Halloween, and you get all spooky. Okay, hear me out. I like Christmas stuff, and I'm gonna start buying it, but, like, I just... There's... I don't know. I feel like waiting to Thanksgiving is, like, proper. That's fair. And I will wait until Thanksgiving to introduce onto this show my love of Christmas music. But I'll be going hard from Thanksgiving. Oh, me too. To the new year. I am a big Christmas music fan. Let me just start out by saying um, Christmas Wrapping by the Waitresses is the best. But we're not doing this yet. No, we're not. It's nothing. So I guess I'll talk about my dirts. Please. As you might be able to tell by my general dress and demeanor, I've been hitting the Grateful Dead lately. Been starting to listen Mm. to some live shows. Cherry Garcia. Yeah. What... A long, strange dip it's been, uh, it says on Nick's tie-dye shirt. Jerry famously, near the end of the near the end of his touring with the Grateful Dead, which he died on tour, so clearly he was there to the end, he basically said like he wanted to quit the band. He was so tired of not being able to go out in public because he was so famous. He said, I can quit. I can live off of the ice cream money. Because apparently he was getting paid ubu money for the usage of his likeness. Like, I think it was like $250,000 a year. Hell. Which is a lot. Like, for the way he lived, he could have lived off of that. Yeah. But no. He and, I, and I feel like that's... I, you know, I was a young child at the time, mm-hmm. but I feel like the... Like, that felt like, at least in my mind, to put Ben and Jerry's on the map. Or, at the very least, was the first, like, endorsement product. It, it was, and I feel like that was, like, the thing that got them at out like that became that got them to be like the counterculture ice cream when they took on the grateful dead which by the way what the fact that we have a counterculture ice cream Uh, i think it's dope it's 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 a lovely story but there's no such thing as a counter (laughs) counterculture ice cream company is there like they're crunchy i think they definitely like voted bernie I think in ice cream you could still have that okay i don't i don't think ice cream is as corporate (laughs) As, I don't know. Like I it's, mean, it can be. Um, I mean, you know, it's a large company. If you're going between like Baskin Robbins and this, I mean, it's true. They are the like of the ice cream companies. They are definitely like one of the. Um, they are in fact owned by Unilever. Anyone who refers to Ben and Jerry's as a counterculture company ever again is completely wrong. Ah, whatever. I don't care. So. But that happened in the year 2000. So they used to be cool, then they sold us. And that's what happens to everybody. Yeah, that's the... That happened to the Grateful Dead. That's what happened to Jerry Garcia. Yeah. 
Um, the song Fall in Philadelphia is between my durns this week, because it is a beautiful fall in Philadelphia. It has been quite nice. And that song is the shit. What it's song is the Hall and Oates, oh. Fall in Philadelphia. And it's just such a nice, like, I was literally, I drove, like, that big stretch by the zoo today, and, like, the leaves were blowing, and it's, like, yellow and red, and that song was on, I was like, the windows were down, it's, like, 70 degrees, I was like, oh my god, this is beautiful. It is quite it's fall nice. in Philadelphia. Democracy's back. I can't wait. <laughs> it's it's been pretty good. Yeah, I do like. I want to say it was on Dave Chappelle's. Um, was a weekend update? Where did I see it? I believe it was I mean, on SNL. He hosted. He hosted, but somewhere in this, you know, all consuming lots of uh, various takes on the this election and on Biden's win, um, that it feels like. Um, it feels like we're in the scene in Shawshank Redemption where they get to, all the inmates get to drink beers on the roof and it's like <laughs> their one shared humanity and it's like, <laughs> life still sucks. Oh, that but, is But that day, you know, they, they felt alive. Speaking of which, it was fun how we got to be happy for 24 hours and then we all woke up to the news that Alex Trebek yeah. died. Yeah. And like, I'm someone who just being a general misanthrope, like... I don't like getting on the bandwagon when, like, like when Betty White dies. Guys, I'm not going to give a shit. She's an old lady. So, like, my instinct is to be like, Trebek, well, all right, he's old, he had cancer, he's dying. Like, it's not like, <gasps> tragedy. It's like, all right, that sucks. But I even mean, me, yeah. even he warms my cold, cold like, heart. He just had such a big place in American culture. Like, everybody watched that with their grandparents. Everything. For me, it was me and Mama. Aww. We would, um, there was a while after college when I was living at home, and my dad was living elsewhere for work, and, like, that was a nightly ritual. It was Max and Lib watching Jeopardy. You know, he he was on Cheers. He was. He was in, uh, <laughs> because I have to bring it up every week, uh, Robert Altman's Shortcuts in 1993. <laughs> yes, he sure. a cameo in that. He, I believe he was in the Black Naked Gun. One of those? Probably. I did see yeah. the, the Simpsons I mean, clip, which true. was so good. He, oh yeah, <laughs> he's like robbing the Simpsons house. Where Marge ends, is on Jeopardy and ends with negative $5,200. Oh, and there is also, he was mentioned famously in King of the Hill. Was it? Peggy and her niece are watching Jeopardy, and I believe her niece Luann says, Do, don't you think... Alex Trebek is just the handsomest man, and Peggy says, "Get out of my head." <laughs> really? Yeah, it's just. I did see. Was he in like a band in the sixties or something? I, I saw, saw some hot young Trebek. My old employer like, as a front man. My old employer, the Franklin Fountain, reposted that photo of yeah. him like with a sweater tied around his neck, like on like a fifties like, like variety, variety show. show. Yeah. I don't know if he was in a band or if he was just like. I feel like he was one of those like variety show sweetheart dudes for a while. Okay. Because he started hosting Jeopardy and like. The six, like he's been doing that job for like 40, 50 years easily. Yeah, uh, 36. And it's like, who's gonna take over now, do you think? Steve Harvey. Oh, I don't think Steve Harvey. Steve I Harvey just is said such a per- George man. Stephanopoulos's name's getting floated. No. No, that's. I've heard Ken Jennings' name also. No. I mean, Ken Jennings does work for Jeopardy now. Does he? He is a full time. My girl con- Kelly? No, no. He's just, he is a full time consultant. He's like, is he writing questions and stuff? Yes, he's, like, writing for the show. He's doing some, like, presentation stuff. And, I mean, I feel like, I don't know. It could happen. 
that he could become the next. I mean, he is the goat. It would. I would infinitely prefer that to. Yeah. I mean, I would prefer. But it's it's impossibly hard. There, I know. there is no right no one there. is gonna fill in well at the beginning. It's right. gonna be a bumpy road. But I feel like I don't know. I think it's I gotta be a no name. It's either gotta be nobody or him. Like yeah, I don't know. it'd be so weird. Like you couldn't just put another old man in. Right. And that also wouldn't be sustainable. You, right. you, yeah. you need a young man to live out the next 40 years. <laughs> Last 60 days, fix the fuck <laughs> Can you imagine if it just became like the cursed show and every old man they put up died after like four months? Oh, that'd be a bummer, but also that'd be pretty cool. Um, I, for some reason, I just thought, <laughs> I love that this is still in my brain. Um... In the movie, she's all that, I believe. If not that, then one of those nine, late 90s teen movies. Um, but I believe she's all that because, like, nerdy hot girl with glasses is, like, she's kind of a sad family. Her dad's kind of lazing about. I don't remember the details. Um, but he's watching Jeopardy. And the question is... Um, it was like, this was created as a substitute for, as a non-alcoholic substitute for wine um, in whatever year by whoever. And he goes, he's just sitting on the couch. He goes, uh, what is non-alcoholic wine? <laughs> and the answer is, what is grape juice? It's <laughs> cracked me up. Oh my gosh. Um, speaking of old TV, SNL 25. Is a VH, a double VHS tape I've had for years and never watched. Twenty five. So tw- fifteen years ago, seventeen years yes. ago. Well, no, it came. It aired originally in seventy five. So I think the fortieth was a so few years 2000. ago. Two thousand. Yeah. So this is the year two thousand. Fifteen okay. years in, and it's just so good. Like it's it's so interesting. Like so many people are still alive and like still like interested in being on the show and like they would just like pull up all like all the surviving old casts were there and like because if you watch the 41 it's very different like a lot of people didn't come or right. clearly weren't it's invited. more of like a, a documentary yeah. retrospective and like there were a few like you know you had to have in the 40th you had to have like um Dana Carvey Michael Myers came um Dan Aykroyd uh Chevy Chase, all those people came. But, like, you know, the 25th, I think, is way better. And, like, um, it's just, it's so funny. You should watch it. Um, There is the very controversial performance of Radio Radio. Radio Radio. By, um, what's his face? And so, based this guy, when you pull up his name, I will tell. Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello. He was, he, like, ten years before this was banned from the show because he was the musical guest and he went on this long tirade about, like, anti-establishment stuff. And they were like, you're unreliable, kid. You're off. And then they finally brought it back for this. And the BC boys were playing Sabotage for like 10 seconds. And he ran in and said, there's no reason to play this here tonight. And then they all did a really like raunchous version of Radio Radio. Cool. And the only reason he did it is because he was specifically told he was not allowed to play Radio Radio. Awesome. Which is just such a... It was so fun. I'd ne- I've heard of this, but I'd never seen it. And finally seeing it, I was like, that's pretty dope. That's, okay. that's a good reason to get kicked off SNL forever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a great special. Also, ripping up a picture of the Pope. True. Great reason. Good for If her. you are not familiar with that that bit of SNL history, or you have a general dislike for Sinead O'Connor, because she was um, 
essentially crucified by the public. Yeah. She, was, she became an instant pariah, but she was way ahead of the curve on calling out abuse in the Catholic Church, and she did it by ripping up a picture of the Pope, which was awesome. It was. Um, but yeah, SNL 25, probably on YouTube. Go check it out. It has a weird um, opening where Tan Aykroyd plays a Native American chief. Oh, yeah. Maybe not the best, but also the opening is Bill Murray, and he's doing, he's like a lounge singer at like a casino opening, and it's it's really funny. It's just him going around and like vamping with all the guests and like. Beautiful. It's, oh, lo- it's really Lounge good. singer Bill Murray and, like, is perhaps. And like a 2000 best, era, best so he still has like hair. It's R- Rushmore era band, Bill Murray. Yes. That's all you and, want. And of course, Tom Hanks is in this, and I, it's right around, you can tell it's right around the time he probably wrapped Castaway, because he looks like he does at the end of Castaway, and Castaway, of course, came out in the year 2000, sure. as you may hear about on my other podcast, Millennium Bug. We're not doing this here. I don't care. So yeah, and he, he, he has this <laughs> bit where the whole bit is his favorite cast member is Will Ferrell. And John Lovitz keeps coming up, and he's asking, like, who's your favorite cast member? <laughs> and then he, he gets asked, like, they do another question, then he, John Lovitz again, he's like, who is your favorite cast member in my cast? <laughs> and Tom Hanks is just like, was Will Ferrell in your cast? <laughs> John Lovitz gets shit on so much, and it is the funniest thing. And um, also, there's a really sad uh, Phil Hartman tribute, because he um, died two years prior to this. Like, yeah. John Lovitz is leading the cast and, like, saying, we're going to show this video for him, and it's just... He can't make it through. He's crying, and it's oh, so. I do want to watch that. Phil Hartman. That was. Yeah. Still and they show this here. very. They show this like just a short film they did. I don't even think it was on SNL, but it was just like a very touching like love story thing in like black and white. And it was like princes and stuff. It was very cool. Hmm. And uh, one last thing, I'll just pop out real quick. I've started watching the British game show QI. It's a very good time. It was a re- it originally came out in the early 2000s, hosted by Stephen Fry. I was gonna say Stephen they Fry. switched over a few years ago to a nice like older lady host. I don't know her name, but she's like a very like British Bake Off woman. She's very smart, very funny, and she just has a nice rotating panel of like British comedians who I enjoy who are, are on all the British shows I've been watching yes. lately. So yeah, check that out. It's a good yeah. time. It's like a very abstract. It's almost like Who's Line, but they don't like do improv stuff as much. It's like. The points are very abstract and they don't matter. And it's more like a comedy show, right. but they like have a game show front. It's a very fun time. Yeah, I've seen bits. It, it's very fun. Stephen Fry is wonderful. I have not watched any of the Stephen Fry. I've just been watching the newer stuff, but I'm sure the Stephen Fry stuff is also Have good. you not done... What's the, the old one? The... Show, show yeah, with him and uh, yeah, Fry and Laurie. Yeah, I, I think that used to be on Netflix. I watched all of that. Okay, good. Big fan. Yeah. Ugh. So many good bits. So yeah, that's uh, my derns. They're all empty. All right. So here you have a little dern you want to speak about. A little dern. Well, I will start um, with a song. Let us pause in life's pleasures and count its many tears. While we all sup sorrow with the poor. There's a song that will linger forever in our ears. Oh, hard times come again no more. Welcome to the American exp- the American Experience, Epcot Disney World. Do you know Please that song? Please remain seated for the entirety of the show. Um, it sounds <laughs> very familiar. You're a fan of classic Americana. I say that because that 
if not is in, it is very similar to one of these songs in the American Experience at Epcot. It probably Which is basically is. Americana. Sure, yes. Th- that song was um, by Stephen Foster, Hard Times Come Again No More, written in 1860... 1854. <laughs> Pre-Civil War. And um, I actually know it from the game Civilization VI, where it is America's theme when you play as American. Oh, so cool. it is quintessentially American. Um, I sing that, we'll get into why I sang that, um, because it's not directly related to what I watched, but what I did watch was an episode of Drunk History. You don't say. Where Laura Dern played one Nellie Bly. Yeah. Um, now, Bly. so I needed to like kind of pad this this segment a bit because it was six minutes long. Really? Only six minutes? Yeah. I feel like they're usually longer. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't watch it much. But the, the conceit of the show is that they get, um, people, usually comedians, they'll, they'll be drunk and talking about some historical figure or event. Um, and then they'll have other actors, like, reenacting it. And they'll say, they'll be mouthing the words that the drunk narrator says. Um, so our narrator for this is J.D. Reisner. Who I don't know and probably should have looked up, but I went down the Stephen Foster rabbit hole instead. Um, he's nobody. I don't know who this man JD is. J.D. Wikipedia don't Rosner? care. J.D. Reisner. R-Y-Z-N-A-R. He is known um, for drunk history. Oh, is he the guy? Does he make the show? I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's him. That's the guy? Yeah, that's Mr. Drunk History. Oh, does he always do it? No, he doesn't. Right, it's usually, it's sometimes other people. This must have just been one he was passionate about. Yeah, so he really wanted to do Nellie Bly and decided to take, like, one-third of her fascinating life and focus on that. Um, So, Nellie Bly was from the Pittsburgh suburbs, Mm -hmm. and her, she was born Elizabeth Cochran. And her first, so what happened, so you might say, well, wait, Nellie Bly, that's interesting. It doesn't appear to be her name. It is not. Uh, Because back in the 1800s, if you were a lady journalist, you'd get a pseudonym. And her very first pseudonym, uh, when she worked at the Pittsburgh Dispatch in the late 1800s, was Lonely Orphan Girl. Which tickles me to no end. Um, so where did the name Nellie Bly come from? Uh, it, in fact, came from an old minstrel song uh, by Stephen Foster, which is a song about um, the owner, Stephen Foster himself, presumably, uh, basically uh, singing about his lovely servant girl, his lovely African-American servant girl, Nellie Bly. Um, and it's about the servant, and I wrote slave, question mark, because this was written in 1850. Um, the song is about a slave girl basically anticipating, quote, the joys of marriage and housekeeping. Um, it has been described as a, quote, sweet domestic ideal, and apart from the blackface dialect, there's not a hint of condescension towards the object of the singer's affection. And so this took me down a little rabbit hole. Like, I don't know much about minstrelry. Um, 
but it did it is interesting because you hear the song and it's sort of nursery rhyme-esque and not as fun to sing as the other one um or not as good frankly but you do get this you can feel you see both of it you can very much feel how like this was in fact at least attempting to humanize black people and to like like kind of like frankly the way the cosby show was revered as like oh white people got to see how black people live like in a normal family right i mean that's yeah. really like I mean, what yeah. what it's recognized for um is that minstrelry absolutely did that and it obviously was like fucked up because it's sort of like very much sugarcoating harsh realities at times um but at least what i get from this particular song like Stephen Foster, you look back and it's like, oh, you wrote things like this or you wrote things for minstrel shows, um, which certainly at times were wildly racist and offensive. But at least in this song here, it's not that. And it was what I learned such an, an immensely important. It was the first American theater was the minstrel show. That was the first thing that America created um, and it had a lot of blackface. It was basically a precursor to vaudeville um, in a lot of ways. But that at times, at least some of it was aiming to be like good and thoughtful with regard to race. Um, and like you come up a little short if you're just talking about like how oh, it's great that this little the black girl is cleaning the house all the time. And that's just, you know, picture perfect. Um, but at the same time, you do get that vibe from, um, that particular song. And I thought that was interesting. And I'm, I'm interested to explore that part of history a bit more because, well, I don't know much. Um, but Stephen Foster is also, so then I was like, okay, so that's who Nellie Bly is, who's Stephen Foster. Stephen Foster is known as the father of American music. Um, giving us such hits as Nellie Bly, oh. Hard Times Come Come Again No More, previously sung by me, Camp Town Races, and his first major hit, uh, and likely his biggest in many regards, a little number called Oh Susanna. My God. This so this guy was, was top tier. He was the Elton John of his time. Absolutely. This guy, he was the Post Malone of his That's time. He was all up and down the charts. Good for him. Um, yeah. So I was just went on like an old 1800s American music <laughs> kick the last couple days. As we all do over a fun weekend. Do it. Have some fun. Yeah, man. Um, Fiddle music. Fun little bit of trivia. In 1935, Henry Ford, who had something I can only imagine you would have absolutely loved. Oh, man. Uh, like an Americana museum. Oh, hell In Dearborn, yeah. Michigan. And he moved a home piece by piece from uh, Pennsylvania. Stephen Foster is also, in fact, from the Pittsburgh area. Moved a home piece by piece from Pennsylvania. Reassembled it in Dearborn, Michigan. And it was billed as the home of Stephen Foster, and apparently it was not, in fact, his childhood home. But they still went through the trouble of moving it piece by piece to that, Michigan. That reminds me of two things. One thing I might have mentioned before. Um, P.T. Barnum <laughs> tried to buy William Shakespeare's house. 
Did I ever mention this? I please mention again. So basically at one point he started advertising that he was going to buy his house and move it to his museum in New York, like Times Square, New York City. It was like the biggest, most visited museum in the world at the time. And um, yeah, he almost did it. And there there was this group of like wealthy noblemen in England who were going to buy it, like to buy it, to keep it and preserve it and so on. But they just never, like they never got around to it because they figured (laughs) there's no rush. And then P.T. Barnum tried to buy it and they were like, oh no, we have to get our ducks in a row. And then they stopped it from happening. I want to watch a movie about that in particular. So close to, I would like to see a movie of like realistic P.T. Barnum because he was a, very colorful character yes. who did a lot of awful things yes. to make his show work. And the musical movie is good, but it's not realistic to how he actually treated mm-hmm. people. Oh, no. But, it's you know, a monster um, in a lot of ways. The other thing, is it not amazing how many like art museums and s- museums in general have like buildings and like whole rooms that they like brought from other places? Right. Like the Philadelphia okay. Art Museum has a whole cultures. section of just rooms from like noble England that they just took and rebuilt there. Yeah, and like even the, and is isn't the Philadelphia Art Museum where they have like Chinese oh, or yeah, Japanese the, there tea is, garden? There is a whole tea garden reconstructed in the Asian wing. Yes, and um, even the um, the main branch of the Philadelphia Free Library has a like a southern like um, study library that they rebuilt in the um, like preserved book historical wing. They keep. oh, is it not they also that? have um. Charles Dickens' pet raven, Grip, who was the inspiration for The Raven, raven? by Edgar Allan Poe. His, the stuffed raven lives actually right next to the preserved library. Oh. And in addition to all that, lots of books! Yes. Lots of books they, over there. I was visiting once, and the woman told me basically if there's a fire, she is instructed to grab certain copies of like Shakespearean wow. manuscripts and stuff like that. Basically, she said... What I would be interested to grab is worth, like, $12 million, sure. essentially. And I was like, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I I once had, in, in college, I worked a summer job for, um, basically, as an archivist for local museums on Long Island. There were a series of them, and one of them was in... Uh, an old goat, Gold Coast mansion. An old like, goat mansion. <laughs> old goat mansion. Why can't I think of the name of it? Might have been the Vanderbilts. Might have been the Guggenheims. It was one. I mean, one of those either big one. swinging dicks. <laughs> um, beautiful mansion, and what we had did just basically catalog everything. It was like write a serial number and log it into a laptop and take a picture of it, and that was basically the process. Mm-hmm. And you know, you'd grab the the piece from where it was displayed and bring it over to like the table to stage it and do everything and there's one painting and i'm i'm carrying the painting and my boss <laughs> seeing me carry it goes oh she's like that's one of the most expensive pieces here she's like it's about seven mil and i'm like <laughs> my hands are shaking i was like why did you do oh, this to me Oh, that... Oh. Yeah, I was like, you know I'm a teenager, right? Like, don't... Do you know how hungover I am right now? Come on, lady. Get off it. Um, anyhow. Anyway, after that brief interstitial. Let's bring it back to uh, old, old Nellie Blonde. Old Nell. I will say Nellie Slave Girl, N-E-L-L-Y. Nellie Journalist, N-E-L-L-I-E, which was uh, her editor's typo, but it stuck. Um, so Nellie Bly starts off doing journalism in Pittsburgh 
And then she goes to New York. She's short on cash. And she goes to one crazy old asshole um, by the name of Joseph Pulitzer. Real prick, that guy. Oh, if you yeah. want, like, do a deep dive into him as a man. I remember learning he had, like, he had hypersensitivity to, like, noise and was just, like, a mean 1800s titan of industry father. <laughs> like, so, that like, is insane. <laughs> yeah. The 1800s were so loud. He must have been so angry all the time. <laughs> um, and so Joseph Pulitzer, famous um, journalist, what do we have? The New York, one of them. New York World. You go into the New York World. And she petitions him, says, hey, I want to do this thing where I'm going to get convicted to an insane asylum so I can write about uh, how people are treated there because it's probably not good. And he's like, hell yeah, let's do it. It sounds dope. And she, so she goes, she moves to a boarding house and just acts crazy. She stays up all night, right? So she has like big bug eyes and she starts calling everyone else crazy. Um, apparently in immediately, she was only there for 10 days. Well, then she gets committed. She was only committed for 10 days. Um, but already in that time before any of it's revealed that, you know, she's, this, she's doing this as a journalist. Um, she got media attention known as the pretty crazy girl. There's like an article like, where did this mystery oh psycho God. woman come from? Man. Which I want to know more about like, what journalism. Like just waiting outside the, the nut house. Oh. Like, who you got? That's, oh, a, that's a pretty loon you got there. What's a story? <laughs> um, and as you might expect, uh, their treatment was terrible yes, nurses were uh, just spitting on people yeah basically were violent were abusive um food was rotten there were rats everywhere they had to sit she said we had to sit and not move for on for like 14 hours a day on like a hard cold bench Ooh. um they they would bathe they would get bathed in ice cold used bath water and so just deplorable conditions. And she wrote in her article, like, she wrote, what, accepting torture, would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? And I, she's absolutely right. Um, so she comes out with... Uh, so 10 days later, Pulitzer is like, oh, she's ours. We got her. Hmm. She, she ain't really a nutter. Um, and she writes this piece. And it becomes a huge hit. Her work resulted directly in an $850,000 increase to the budget of insane asylums, I guess, in New York City. I'm not sure what jurisdiction. But, she, oh, she was on Blackwell's Island, which is the former name of Roosevelt Island, New York City. That, that <laughs> cool, thin little island between Manhattan and uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, where they're burying all the COVID victims. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. You know the one. Yeah, yeah. You've seen the pile of corpses, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, her... Her work loosely inspired the uh, American season of American Horror Story, Asylum. True. You may recognize the story. And apparently last year, Christina Ricci played Nellie Bly in a 2019 Lifetime movie. Uh, Kate Mara was supposed to play her in an announced series years ago, but I 
Best I could tell, that never happened. And um, her home state of Pennsylvania, uh, living up to her legacy, had some of the most deplorable mental hospitals, some of which did not close down until the 1990s. Indeed it did. Uh, what's, what's the one, the spooky one? Uh, Penhurst, Penhurst here. I think Pittsburgh also had an equally awful one. You know, it's Lovely great. grounds, though. Oh, yes. If you ever get a chance to visit. It's the grounds, lovely. <laughs> they were kept by them, you know. <laughs> um... So this was the beginning. This was such a big deal at the time. This was basically the beginning of what was called at the time stunt reporting or detective reporting. And it was basically the precursor pseudo investigative journalism. Yeah. Right. Like, this wasn't this was not at all common. There were no famous incidents of like a journalist going undercover in that way. Um, so it was a big hit, big yeah. story. Pretty girl did this. She, you know, she became uh, quite quite a rock star. And so she had to, how are you going to top it? How are you going to top it, Nick? Are you going to set a world record? Did are you, you going <laughs> to take the mythical Jules Verne story, story around the world in 80 days, and in fact beat that record and travel around the world in 72 days? Well, yes, you are. Is that what she did? That is exactly what she did. That is she went around the world in 72 days. It was at the time a world record. And there was a competing newspaper sent their own reporter to go the other way around the oh world. Oh my god. And got like 74 days, like came up short. <laughs> Sucks to suck. <laughs> That's good. Oh, Sucks to that. suck. Um, there was a contest at the time to guess the time of her trip to the second. And the winner got a trip to Europe, which I thought was neat. And huh. so just That's old school. Cool. Um, she got to meet Jules Verne in France on that trip. Also very cool, because he wrote the book. That's, that's nifty. Um, and she bought a monkey in Singapore. <laughs> and went to a leper colony in China. Nice. And then her, her a few months later, her world record was broken, and then it's probably just been repeatedly broken. I mean, yeah, you could probably do it in like 18 then. hours now if you tried. Yeah, like no one's ever going to have a standing record for that. No one's ever going to be like, oh, I'll never get broken. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, then her life takes a turn. Oh, no, don't tell me that. <laughs> when she was 31, oh. she married a 73-year-old millionaire uh, steel and iron manufacturer. Um, oh, and then he died because I mean, that, that was happened. clearly the plan. Yeah, <laughs> come on. And so she took over as head of the ironclad manufacturing company. She failed. Um, but there are claims that ironclad the company invented the fifty-five gallon oil drum. Like you know that it has the two bands. It's kind of three sections. Like you think a classic, like a movie with oil. Transport yeah. the big old barrel that they'd I put know. on like a, a ship. My family would burn their garbage in the woods. I know yeah. what a oil barrel looks yeah, like. Yeah, the classic 55 gallon. Um, so that was invented by Ironclad, and there are claims that she personally invented that, but she is not on the patent. She does, however. She was just looking at a metal cylinder and thought, put two ridges on it. Yes. Um, she does hold patents, though, in her own name with the Ironclad Manufacturing Company for a milk, a novel milk can. I couldn't quite tell what was novel about it from the patent. Hmm. And a stacking garbage can, oh. which I guess was novel at the time. 
Um, and it looks, it's funny because it looks exactly like when you go to Ikea and they've just got the like sort of wedge-shaped and they're stacks 20 high little <laughs> plastic garbage cans. Like, Nellie Bly invented that. Um, she did stick with journalism a bit. Uh, she covered East, Europe's Eastern Front during World War One. Interesting. And was a and quoted was the first woman to visit the war zone between Serbia and Austria. And I feel like that's an unverifiable claim. Yeah, that's um, a pretty big stretch. But, I, but perhaps the first woman journalist or American, I don't know. Um, and the Pennsylvania Railroad had an express train between New York and Atlantic City called Nellie Bly. Because she loved gambling. And it crashed and 17 people died. Oh no! Yeah. No, Nellie Bly, no. why did you crash that train? Shouldn't have let her drive that train. <laughs> um, as for like how Dern was, Dern was fun. She yeah, did a great job. It seems like a very empowering role she could really take over. Yeah, it's funny. They had a, a crack in the drunk history about her being a tall woman. Um, and I was like, oh, is that why they picked Darren? And I looked at it, I was like, Nellie Bly height. Nope, she was five feet tall. Uh, so perhaps Kate Mara would have been a more physically accurate portrayer. Just, just to jump back to Trial by Fire very quickly. Right when there's the seven year jump and we Dern picks up that lady on the side of the road, Dern is so much visibly taller sitting in the car, taller than her. It is hilarious. Like she looks like she's eight feet tall compared to this little old Oh woman. yeah. I want to get a picture with Darren oh, someday. God. It looks look just like, like you and Bill up there. Yep, me and old Bill Clinton. Oh gosh. You gotta draw another evil mustache you on look that so guy. Young. I look so young. Both of you. Yeah. So young and full of hope. You look like his vice president. That man had no hope. No. But you look like his vice president. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you little little old Max. Little deputy. Little little vice. Um, needless to say, if you haven't, you know, paid any attention to my political views, fuck Bill Clinton hard. But I did get to meet the oh, guy. Oh, he's just a little syphilis zombie now. He'll be fine. Is he a syphilis zombie? I've heard. I've seen pictures of him and heard theories that he's like in. He's starting. It's a very presidential thing to do. He's getting into like late stage like syphilis oh, madness, isn't it? I've heard it. Like, there's pictures of him where he looks very much like. He's starting to go. Really? Oh, I, that might not. not be real. That could be. I mean, okay. th- there have been pictures of Hillary Clinton where they say, like, she has blah, 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 blah. Right. But, like, Bill Clinton almost I mean, certainly raped children. So if any sucks. president was going to die of syphilis brain, it would be Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> any. Including all the ones from the 17 and 1800s, Bill Clinton. <laughs> Hands down. Would have been Kennedy, but he had too many oh, yeah. enemies. Nah. That man had a syphilis drip at all times. A um, penicillin drip, sorry. <laughs> syphilis drip. I mean, oh, really? gross. He did have a awful, drippy penis. Well, we laugh, we cried, we learned that Dern is a powerful, persistent woman mm-hmm. who sometimes needs to use a wheelchair. By the way, first wheelchair Dern. First wheelchair Dern. How about that? Man. If that ain't it, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, so, that it? Well, what's next for us? Oh, what's here, next? Here at the Darren. Let's pull up the old spreadsheet. Here we go. Uh, you are going to be watching Smooth Talk. That oh. sounds bad. Probably. And I'm going to be watching Fallen Angels, which I guess is a television show. 
Let's see what we got. Smooth talk. Sounds like something from, oh, 1985 with Treat Williams oh, and Laura Dern. Yes! Hell yeah. A free-spirited 15-year-old girl flirts with a dangerous stranger in the northern California suburbs Ooh. and must prepare herself for the frightening and traumatic consequences. Oh, it's based on, oh, it's based on Joyce Carol Oates' uh, Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been? Which is a wonderful dark story. Um, now I'm quite excited. Treat Williams, who you may know, if, if you're me, from, um, what was that show? It's like a shitty, like, WB show. Everwood. Oh, dear Everwood. God. It was like one of, it well, was like a Seventh Heaven-esque I'm glad you're family happy drama. But he was also in some really shitty, funny, like, action movies in the 80s. Fallen angels, plural. Mm, yeah, yeah, nope, just one. Oh man, it ran for one season. It seems to be British. Nineteen eighty-one. I have no. Two thousand three. I have no idea what's happening here. Maybe Fallen there angel was. Laura um. Yeah. I don't know, man. Fallen angels. Mm. Um. The episode is Murder Obliquely, starring... Ooh. No shit. Ooh, anthology series. Okay. Check the director. Director. Wait, is what year is this from? 893, 95? This is from 1993 to 95. This is another Showtime series. Dern is a big Showtime player. And it's like a it's a neo noir throwback starring Laura Dern, Alan Rickman, Diane Lane, and directed by Alfonso Cuarón, who has come a long way since making Showtime anthology episodes. <laughs> um, perhaps best known for "Y tu mamá también," which he wrote. Um, oh, I guess he hasn't actually directed much. What does he do? Oh, no, Children of Men, Gravity. Um, neat. So this is his one episode of that. That's probably going to be really good. I, this looks like we might have a good week. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. The only time, last time I was this pumped is when he had, like, White Lightning. and oh, man, I did finally watch White Lightning. I heard. Incredible. I learned this about you. Oh, good one. Very yeah. good. Well, so listeners at home, you should also watch White Lightning. Please do. Uh, As for these, like, if you want to watch a six-minute clip from Drunk History, it's fine. I didn't hate it. I'll give it three stars. Yeah. Um, Trial by fire. Uh, some stars. Yeah. Maybe do dead man walking. Yeah. Maybe if, abolish the death penalty if you can. Yeah. If, if you want to. If you're not busy today, go mm-hmm. ahead and get rid of it. Yeah. Take care of that. Alrighty. Well, I guess, I guess we're leaving you. Yep. See you. See you next week, maybe. Bye. Bye, Bye Daryl. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.